Everything's good until the end there. <laughs> Nobody else on staff would do it or in the church, and so I, I was uh, forced to. Hey, um, let's, let's take a moment before I get into our series on the Beatitude, because we want to rally around you moms, okay, right? All of you that are here, we want to rally around you this morning, and let me set it up this way. Here it is, Mother's Day 2015, and so I want to say on behalf of all of us here at Wheaton Bible Church, we so value, appreciate, and honor you mothers, you stepmothers, you single-parent mothers, you adoptive mothers, you foster mothers, you spiritual mothers, you mentor mothers, uh, those of you that are mothers with children who have special needs, those of you that are mothers who have lost a child, and everything from the agony of a miscarriage to as a couple Rhonda and I counseled with this week, uh, a child who was killed in a drive-by shooting. I want you to know that we so, so appreciate you and, and are so thankful for you in our midst. And may God bless you. And to, and to those of you um, women that want to be mothers, but either you're not married or you can't get pregnant. Man, why, I want to say publicly, you are not second-class citizens, right, church? No way. And, and we want to love you and support you, and um, we are praying for you in the unique assignment God ha has given you. So moms, on behalf of your kids... Let me say thank you. Thank you for reading the Bible to them. And as they grow older, for continuing to share with them from God's Word, the things you're learning from God's Word. Thank you for pointing them to Jesus because you love Jesus, as I said a minute ago, not passing that off to the church. Thank you for your... Uh, 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 approach and teaching your children uh, grace, not works. Th that what matters is that the key to life isn't little Johnny's obedience, but Jesus' obedience. And, and thank you, moms, on behalf of your kids, on uh, behalf of the, this church, uh, for modeling repentance and humility and not a false notion of perfection. For being a mom that's quick to say, I'm sorry, I blew it. Will you forgive me? And thank you, moms, for focusing on character, on your child's heart, on your child's spiritual life, and not empty, vain ability. And as a dad and as a father, man, thank you, moms, on behalf of your kids, for loving their daddies, even when they're not easy to love. Now, there's probably one or two like that, but now most of us aren't like that. And thank you, moms, for teaching your children not to bully, but to befriend the outcasts, the poor, the, uh, the, the, those that seem a little marginalized and outside. Most of all, and I'll conclude with this, moms, we want to thank you as a church of Jesus Christ, most importantly, 
for standing in the gap and praying for your children as if no one else on the planet is praying for them. I mean, really, what's more potent than a praying mother? So moms, this Mother's Day, here we are, 2015. May God give you a vision of the supreme importance of your assignment. And, and may Jesus Christ so overwhelm you with his love that no matter what life throws at you, no matter what comes, you will remain a rock, confident and secure, not in your appearance, not in your circumstances, but in the unstoppable, unbeatable, unmitigated love of Jesus Christ. Amen, church? Amen. Amen. Mothers, thank you. Yeah, amen. We love you. Now grab your Bibles. We're going to pick up this Beatitude series as you saw on the bump just a minute ago. We are in, uh, so turn to the very first book in the New Testament. There's uh, Bibles in front of you. It's the Gospel of Matthew. And we are now in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. This is the fifth of eight Beatitudes. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 7. Uh, we'll put this up on the... Um, a screen because it's a, such a short, such a remarkable um, verse, and then I'm going to spend a lot of time unpacking it today. Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. And what Jesus is saying with this word blessed is the best life, the happiest life, the secret to happiness, the richest, the deepest, the most profound life, when it is all blown away, when it is all uh, said and done, is a life characterized by mercy. The reward you'll be shown an even greater mercy. What a perfect beatitude for Mother's Day, right? I mean, think about it. Where did we first experience mercy? But from our mothers, tangible evidence of God's greater mercy. And maybe even more importantly, and I want to stretch you uh, mothers and dads, actually all of you today, if we get this beatitude right, um, I deeply, deeply believe we're going to get most other things in life right. Marriage, parenting. A lot is at stake in this beatitude. So what I want to do is three things. I, I want to unpack it by talking about what uh, mercy means. Then I want to talk briefly about a barrier to mercy and then how we can become more merciful. I'm going to spend most of my time this morning on unpacking what mercy is. And I want to begin by talking about two distortions of mercy because there's a lot afoot today in our culture. A lot going on where, where we get some of these biblical concepts really confused. So the first distortion, taking mercy to an extreme, distorting it is we harden mercy. And what I mean by that is we make mercy necessary for salvation. But that's crushing legalism. So what we do, for example, is we come to this beatitude, we read this beatitude, and we conclude that the only way to obtain mercy is, is by showing mercy. And the more mercy I show, then the better my works, the better my standing with God. That is not what's going on here. I mean, first of all, apart from the fact that there'll be thousands of failures relative to mercy during the course of our lives, that notion makes salvation something we earn. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is not saying harden mercy. Jesus is not teaching we can earn mercy. But, and I will come back to this, what Jesus is saying is when we turn 
from our sin and we turn to Jesus, we become new creatures in Christ. We become born again. We become radically transformed. And a life of mercy is evidence of that transformation. And it's that life that Jesus calls the best, the happiest, the richest, the blessed life. So do not, do not harden mercy. Uh, it, it, mercy is the evidence of our, our salvation, not how we gain our salvation. Okay, you with me? Okay, that was pretty tepid. Are you with me? Okay, okay, now let's go on to a second. I'm going to spend a little more time on this one. Uh, uh, the second thing we do, or second distortion, is we soften it. We soften mercy. And so we take Jesus' statement and it becomes something spineless, something truthless. And we conclude mistakenly that what Jesus is saying, what mercy means, is I can never disagree with anyone. I, I can never make anyone feel uncomfortable. Now where in the world does that come from? I mean, twice in the very first chapter of the Gospel of John, we are told that our Lord Jesus Christ was full of grace and full of truth. Not full of grace and mercy and sort of low on truth, but full of grace and, and, and full of, of truth. So mercy, as Jesus is talking about in this beatitude, doesn't mean we water down our beliefs. It doesn't mean we back off. It has everything to do with how we hold them, how we express them. So let's talk about some of the cultural debate today. For example, uh, mercy means we regularly communicate to uh, gay friends or gay family uh, members that, man, I love you, I, I care for you, I'm here for you, I want to listen to you, I, I value you. But mercy doesn't mean we say, you know, for the last 2,000 years, the Church of Jesus Christ has gotten it wrong. Gotten it wrong on homosexuality, same-sex marriage, gender identification. And now I believe anything less than total acceptance is hate. I say this because today we have taken this rich, multifaceted, biblical concept of mercy and we have reduced it to tolerance. Tolerance. And we have forgotten that Jesus Christ, the epitome, the embodiment of mercy, was highly intolerant of the Pharisees, of hypocrisy, of adultery, of truthlessness, of um, unrighteousness. I was raised in an alcoholic home. Most of you know that. I talk about that. And because of that, because of that background and how alcoholism just shattered our family, I have a tremendous empathy for people that live in those kind of homes, that have struggled with those kind of issues. But I got to tell you, as much as I care and I want to help and I, and I love those people, I am highly, highly intolerant of the effects of alcohol, addiction, and abuse. 
And I don't think that's being unmerciful. I think that's being wise. Because I tasted the consequences firsthand. So hear me. Disagreement is not betrayal. It is not hate. It is not a lack of love. Now let me apply this a little differently. Some of you in the corporate sector, uh, those of you that are married, you must resist this unconscious notion that if he or she disagrees with me, then they're betraying me or they don't like me or uh, there's something the matter with me. Who can count the number of corporate cultures, the number of marriages that have been wrecked because we're so insecure that we can't handle disagreement? And we misinterpret it. And we confuse disagreement and genuine, humble pushback for betrayal. When Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, he's assuming an equal commitment to truth. I mean, in the previous beatitude, what did he say? Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. In the next beatitude, blessed are those that are pure in heart. So sometimes, the most merciful place we can be is on the wrong side of history, on the wrong side of popular culture, on the wrong side of politics. Amen? If those are the two distortions, then what is mercy? Lots of different ways to define that. I want to do it briefly, and, and so the definition I want to give you is uh, mercy is compassion in action, in action toward those in need, toward people in need. In other words, uh, mercy is kindness on wheels. Mercy is empathy with legs. There's this move towards involvement. Mercy is not looking down the hole that someone is in and waving as you walk by and say, man, I'll pray for you. Mercy is climbing down the hole, helping them get out. Now, often in the Bible, grace and mercy are used synonymously. The one means the other. They're, they're um, synonyms. But sometimes they're a little different. And when they're a little different, grace is the loving response to the undeserving. Mercy is the uh, loving response to the miserable. And what's interesting from a biblical perspective is you can have grace, perfect grace without mercy, but you can never, ever have mercy without grace. Now, there are eight of these puppies, eight of these beatitudes, eight of these incredible statements from heaven itself on truth. These eight are not eight different kinds of people like we see in the Divergent movies, okay? Rather, these are eight pictures, eight different ways of describing what Jesus people, kingdom people, people who have come to Christ, been radically transformed by the gospel, uh, look like. These are people who are now alive and aligned with and serving in Jesus' administration because Jesus' kingdom is Jesus' administration. And what Jesus is teaching us in this beatitude is that a major marker of kingdom people 
is that you and I are merciful in all our relationships in ways we never were before. Now, we're not perfect, uh, but we're making progress, and the progress of progression takes us to greater measures of mercy. And in addition to that, we are always mining for, we are always looking for new relationships where we can be continually merciful. All relationships. Now, let me digress for a second. I know it's Mother's Day, but let me just talk about a, something we're talking about here at Wheaton Bible Church. Um, we have put our fingers on, actually Ted's been a big help with me in this, we have put our finger on a, a problem here at the church. And let me line this out real quickly, I'll come back to this this fall. And the problem is, while we are a welcoming church, and people tell us all the time, parking lot, greeters, all of that, we're a friendly church, what people, after a couple years, who leave our church tell us, well, the reason I didn't stay is I never got invited into anybody's living room. Whoa. People are friendly. But, I, I mean, we live in the, 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 the Sweden area where our relationships go back for decades and decades, and we got our groups, and our, our groups are often uh, fixed, and, and we live busy lives. And, um, you know, there is a turnover, but it's not dramatic turnover. Like if we live, we're surrounded by new housing development, so we're friendly. Uh, but we aren't open to many new relationships, inviting new people, broken people, just like we're broken, into our lives. And I want to tell you, and again, I'm going to come back to this, that is not mercy. Merciful people aren't like that. Uh, Jesus isn't talking about when he says blessed are the merciful about writing a check once or twice a year. Kingdom people are different. We're new creatures in Christ. We're radically uh, transformed. And mercy becomes the basis of all our relationships, existing relationships, and opens us. We're, we're look on the lookout for other people that need us so that we can step into their lives and extend mercy. Why? We've been radically transformed by the mercy of God in Jesus Christ. Now, let me take this a step further. When Jesus talks about mercy, he talks about two primary forms of mercy in the Gospels. And the first is forgiveness. Forgiveness. Merciful people are forgiving people. And in the parable of the unmerciful servant, Jesus tells a story, story about a king. The king in the parable is a metaphor for God who forgives his servant of this astronomical debt. King forgives the servant. The servant leaves, and this servant is a picture of you and me, and refuses to forgive another person of a much smaller debt. Now that's the parable. Look at how Jesus comes out of it in Matthew chapter 18. Jesus is continuing to tell us a parable, and he says, then the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from the heart. Now let's go back to the first slide. 
Now notice the third line. Jesus says, uh, putting words into the mouth of the master, I canceled all that debt. That is a beautiful definition of biblical forgiveness. What is forgiveness? It's canceling the debt of another. It's wiping it out. The guilt, the failure, it's canceling it. So Jesus gives us a definition of forgiveness in the third line. And if you go down to the fifth line, the word he uses to describe it is what? Mercy. Mercy. So forgiveness is mercy. Mercy is forgiveness. Now why? Well, because mercy and forgiveness have something in common. They are responses to injustice. They are responses to debt. They are responses to failure, uh, to sin. And forgiveness is mercy in response often to betrayal. You see, there's a cost to forgiveness. Don't ever let anybody tell you that forgiveness is easy. I mean, you lend your brand new golf clubs to somebody and they, they borrow them and they take them out and, the, and they break your driver. They break one of your golf clubs and they come back to you and they're, they're feeling just awful and you say to them, oh, don't worry about it, forget it. And you forgive them. But you still have to go buy the new golf club. There's always a cost to mercy. Mercy, or forgiveness rather, forgiveness is expensive. And when... Um, when we read Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, blessed are the merciful, and we look at it in light of what he says in Matthew chapter 18, calling forgiveness mercy, what we conclude is that for Christians, forgive everyone no matter what. Whoa. No matter what. You say, but they haven't repented, Rob. Give me a break. And I direct your attention, we won't look at it, to the next chapter, Matthew chapter 6, verses 14 and 15. And I want you to observe that Jesus does not say, wait until they repent and then you forgive them. Mercy is forgiveness. And forgiveness is probably the most painfully acute form of mercy. Now there's a second form. A second form of mercy according to Jesus. Now fasten your seatbelt because here we go. And it's this. It's costly, extravagant effort directed towards those in need. This is another parable of Jesus. It's the more familiar parable of the Good Samaritan. In the Good Samaritan, a no-name, no-name man is robbed, beaten to a pulp. But the culturally elite the religious leaders uh, are too important, uh, too busy. I mean, they've got demanding jobs. They have three iPhones. They have tablets. They carry four computers all in their little backpacks. They're just too busy. They have appointments. They have schedules. They're the elite, and they just walk right on by, but not the Samaritan. Not the half-breed, not the culturally despised, at least despised, by the Jews, he steps in. Look what Jesus says. 
Luke chapter 10, we're coming to the end of the parable of the Good Samaritan. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three, Jesus now asked, do you think was the neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had what? There's the word. On him. Jesus told him, go and do likewise. Now what the good Samaritan does is over-the-top extravagant effort. He sets aside his schedule. He risks making mistakes. He complicates his life. He absorbs all the physical and economic burden of the stranger. He puts him up in what as, was as close back in the first century to a Ritz as possible. Pays for it. Does it, does it all. And when that happens, what does Jesus say? Jesus says that gets filed under mercy. It's beautiful. Now, now yes, mercy is being nice. I'll, I'll come back to that. But here Jesus is telling us in the parable of Good Samaritan, it's so much more than that. You, you moms hear this. Uh, these are incredible opportunities for you and your kids, your dads. Now, now, what if we were to live like this? What if individually, uh, families, uh, as, as a community, we would live like this? What would we be? We would be the church. Now, let me talk about Wheaton Bible Church for just a second. This is why we are so deeply involved in so many different areas. It's why our involvement in the largest apartment complex in West Chicago was almost A to Z. Why we have a lot of people, so many of you volunteers, so many resources to, that, to help children, to help adults. We take that very seriously. It's our Puente del Pueblo ministry. It's why people here at Wheaton Bible Church uh, once a week, a couple times a month maybe, take boxes of food to people that are hungry here in DuPage County. Rhonda and I did that for almost a year. And you get to know these people, and pretty soon what happened is Rhonda was periodically taking uh, either Ralph or Mickey to the hospital. It's why we as a church are so involved with refugees. It's why, get this, we have an adult Sunday school class that's taught in Arabic. It's why we care about immigrants, about the abused and the broken. It's why lawyers in our church set aside a Saturday every now and then to come and offer free legal advice to people that need free legal advice. This is mercy. It's Good Samaritan mercy. 
It's why a growing number of you, and this is a beautiful thing that's happening in Wheaton Bible Church, are giving yourselves to adopting children, giving yourselves to foster care. Uh, getting immersed in, in the deep end. It's why a number of you cheerfully care for the elderly, the, the, the sick, the, the disabled, those with special uh, needs. It's why last summer we doubled the space of our shine ministry, our, our ministry to special need uh, children and students. Ten days ago, uh, Rhonda and I were having breakfast, or I was having breakfast, she was having a cup of coffee. And um, she looked at me, uh, we were reading the paper, and she said, you know, I wonder if I should go to Nepal. It was just right after the earthquake. Now, she's in the medical area. One of her closest friends sitting right over here, Melanie, was part of a medical team that went to Nepal in the last couple of years. And Rhonda said, I think I should call Melanie. Maybe we should go. Now, it hasn't worked out. But here's what I want you to hear. One of the reasons I love you, um, one of the reasons I love this church is because so many of you walk around asking yourself, I wonder if I should go. I wonder if I should do this thing. I wonder if I, I, I should uh, do that thing. And, and what you're really wrestling with is I wonder how I can express God's mercy. Mercy is not legalism. Mercy is not spinelessness. Mercy is not just being friendly. It's costly, extravagant effort toward the needy. And man, if you want some help, we have some wonderful people on our staff that, that incarnate this each and every day of their life. And I want to invite you to come and talk uh, to one of them. Uh, they'll take you by the hand and, and help you catch a vision and think about different ways you can be, in, be involved. Matthew McNeil, Chris McElway, Kyle Reschke, Allison Tews, John White, Bill Brown, all have different responsibilities here, but, but all model for us a, a deep commitment to mercy that gets expressed in a variety uh, of ways. Now, please, ways, please do not misunderstand what I am saying. Mercy is thousands of little things that we do all the time that go unnoticed and unappreciated. It's you moms loving your kids. You love them as you little. You love them into the teenage years and through it. When I was a teenager, I was impossible. I, I broke into homes. I stole things from stores. I, I, I repeatedly almost murdered my little brother. But my mother loved me through it. Now, she sent me to a military academy. That's true. But she loved me through it. Mercy is the thousands of little things. It's sending an email to somebody you know needs encouragement. It's coming alongside somebody that's uh, grieving. It's asking questions. It's listening, really listening. It's throttling your tongue and throttling your anger. You see, mercy, according to Jesus, the best life, 
The happiest life or the, uh, the merciful transforms all our relationships all the time. But we cannot, now forgive me for stepping on some toes, we cannot let ourselves off the hook. Mercy also has a social conscience. And if the parable of the Good Samaritan means anything, it means there will be times that mercy in our lives will get expressed as extravagant, costly effort directed towards the needy. Parents, this Mother's Day, how, how do your kids see that played out in your family? Uh, you singles, how do, how do your friends see that played out in your life? All right, I've probably driven this thing into the ground, but let me go on now to the barrier. If this is such a big deal according to the Bible, according to Jesus, and, is, it, is, and it is, why do we struggle with this? Uh, what's the barrier? And this is, here I'm speaking in our uh, urban uh, cultural context. Uh, the primary barrier is that we are people that are just consumed with our lives. We're consumed with our own problems. And our stuff. And it's not that we don't believe in Jesus. It's just in the press of life, we forget about mercy because we forget about Jesus. And we focus on our performance, our schedule, our, uh, our agenda, and we have no, uh, we have no energy, no time, uh, no room to dwell on God's incredible grace, God's incredible mercy, God's incredible compassion for us in Jesus Christ. As someone else put it, we are so consumed with focusing on our little cups that we miss, we ignore, we forget the huge cup that Jesus drank on our behalf. And the barrier to mercy is we are consumed with our own problems. And here in this little 10-word beatitude, what Jesus Christ is really calling for is the death of self-pity. The death of narcissism. The death of self-centeredness. So that when you look at somebody that uh, to you is different or uh, not like you, to, to you is maybe perhaps a little uh, uh, unlovely, instead of withdrawing what do you do you think how can I extend mercy how can I get this dear person created in the image of God into my living room because you make room now let me conclude how can we me become more merciful it, the, the, the crazy way we live our lives. How, I'm asking the question, how can we change? And, and the answer, and, and I've talked about this some in the previous Beatitudes, is we've got to go through the first four Beatitudes. Let me explain that. It, it starts with becoming, look at the first Beatitude, poor in spirit. With understanding that our problems are beyond us. They're just beyond us. But then we mourn in spirit. That's a second beatitude. In other words, we understand that my problems aren't just educational or financial or, or relational. My problems are the, the deeper issue uh, of sin. And I hate it. And, and I mourn it. And then third, 
you recognize your biggest problem isn't your boss, it isn't this situation, it isn't the president, it isn't that situation. Your biggest problem is you and you cast yourself on God and you're meek. Beatitude number three. Then we come to the fourth beatitude. And this is where many of us take a wrong turn and where, frankly, some others have been really helpful in me thinking about this. And, and what it means is you understand that you need a record to enter God's holy presence that is beyond you. Uh, that you're, you're not capable of. And you know that record is the perfect righteousness of, of, of Jesus Christ. So, instead of taking the wrong turn and seeking your own righteousness, what do you do? You hunger and thirst after the righteousness of Jesus Christ, the fourth beatitude. You see, the only way we become merciful is by looking at the amazing mercy of Jesus Christ. So let me encourage you, let, let me help you for just a moment. And let me encourage you to be a person that thinks about the suffering of Christ for you. I, I mean, think about the Garden of Gethsemane, for example. Where Jesus is praying just hours before his crucifixion. And, and we are told that surface blood vessels in, in, in his head burst. And he sweat drops of blood. So great was the agony of the coming crucifixion that Jesus, who was fearless in the Garden of Gethsemane, is sweating drops of blood. Now I ask you, if it was that bad for Jesus before, can you imagine how horrible the crucifixion of Jesus Christ was for Jesus? Why did he do that? Mercy. Or if you were to come up to me after this service, and I'm not suggesting you do this, and you say, Rabbi, I really don't like you. And as a matter of fact, I'm leaving the church and I never want to see you again. It would be a bad Mother's Day for me. I would stew on that for a while. But if one of my kids did that, it would be devastating. And the pain would be lingering. Really hard to get over. But if Rhonda, my wife, did that, well, frankly, I don't know if I'd ever recover. You see, the, the, the closer, the more proximate the relationship, the greater the pain. And yet on the cross, God the Father turns his back on God the Son my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And God the Father turns his back on God the Son, so he would never, ever turn his back on you and me. And so Jesus, in this little ten-word beatitude, says the best life is the merciful life. Not the busy life, not the comfortable life, not the easy life, not the wealthy life, but the merciful life. And the only way you and I will ever get to mercy is by looking to Jesus. Let's pray.
Father, we come to you and we thank you for your goodness and your grace. This mercy you have shown us in your son who died in our place for our sins. And we want, as, as we prepare to worship, Father, once again, we want to pray for our mothers and we want to thank you for their mercy they have shown us. And we pray that that mercy would go deeper still. Do that in all of our lives for Jesus' sake. Amen.